Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, I'm Jen Halregal. Welcome to the Sportsman of the Year, a suburban philosophy. Just a warning before we get started, some of the language can get a bit tough at times. I am from West Auckland, after all. And we also talk about some stuff you might find upsetting, and some stuff you will hopefully find funny. So take care of yourselves, okay? Some weekends, my nana would stay at our place, and I loved having her there. She would read tea leaves and sing songs from her childhood. Once she showed me a box of half-inch music reels in which she told me were some demo songs she had written and performed. I never got to hear any, and I don't know what happened to them, but I wish I did. Because just imagine what amazing musical time capsules they would have been. Once she read my palms and said, You will sing for your supper, but you will work hard. Which is eerily true, I guess. Nana had been educated in a convent and could read and write very well. She also loved music and poetry. It is my understanding that it is very unusual for women of her era and position to be educated. On her mother's marriage certificate, there was just an X where she was meant to sign her name. Because we didn't have a guest room, she would share my room with me. Every night before she turned out the light, she would drag furniture across the room to block the door then tie silk stockings around the handles of my wardrobe, under and around the legs of the single beds, and then up and through the door levers, sealing it all with a tight, thick knot. Once she had done all of this, we couldn't get out until the morning and no one could get in. Because I was very young, I just accepted this as normal behaviour, but many years later when I started to research anxiety, I wondered what made her so apprehensive at night. My nana lived through two big wars and probably saw frightful things that I wouldn't be able to comprehend. So it's not surprising she felt fearful. But I really do wish I knew more about why she did what she did. Anxiety seems so prevalent in society today, but is it more widespread and pervasive than any other age? Or is it just an intrinsic part of human nature and our personal growth? I don't really have an answer for this. However, what I do know from experience is that it is very scary when it's acute and it can be extremely debilitating. For me, anxiety used to be an overbearing presence that lurked around every corner, instilling me with an inescapable self-doubt and fear. Over the years, I've learned how to lessen these acute anxious thoughts and I don't suffer from melancholy or depression like I used to. This doesn't mean I don't feel sad, mourn a loss or be concerned at times. I just know now that these feelings will pass and is just part of who I am. There is also a very positive side to anxiety which I now appreciate and that is it makes you very risk averse because in your head you have already worked out all the things that can go wrong so you move to avoid them. 
This makes you very good at problem solving and forming solid strategies to benefit your existence. Also, and I really like this one, you don't just jump off a cliff because someone tells you to. You check to see if it's okay first, and in that way you can form your own solid opinions. The peculiar thing is, I didn't have a label for the anxiety I used to feel until my mother and my children were diagnosed with it a few years back. With mum, it suddenly made sense as to why she didn't like to leave her house much and wasn't a fan of travelling. When it came to my children, I couldn't bear to think of them being disadvantaged because they were fearful or overwhelmed. So I decided to find out as much as I could about the state of anxiety and on the way I learned a lot about myself. At this point, I will give you a disclaimer. I'm not suggesting I have a one-size-fits-all answer for how to beat anxiety, nor do I have letters attached to my name. Therefore, I can only speak as an expert about what happened to me. If you do feel down or depressed, then please do ask for help or seek out an experienced health professional because there is a way forward for you and you can feel better. In 1993, I was living in Melbourne and I popped back to Auckland for a few weeks to visit family and friends. I was staying at the best hotel in Auckland, i.e. Dad's Place, located on Herald Island just north of Auckland. He was out with friends one evening and I was watching TV. It was a lovely, still night and I wasn't stressed or upset. If anything, I was quite excited because I was going to be recording my second album, Tremble, in a few months' time. Suddenly, I got a sharp pain in my chest and I couldn't breathe. All I could think was that I was having a heart attack. I rang the hospital and explained what was happening and the person I spoke to at the end of the line told me that I was more than likely having some sort of anxiety attack and to try and keep calm and to get to A&E if I could. I sat petrified, gasping for breath and waiting for my dad to come home. He came in about an hour or so later and I told him what had happened. He said I was fine and not to worry, so I calmed down and went to bed. Dad is good like that. You can break your leg, have a bone sticking out or be covered in a lot of blood and gore after a bike accident and my dad would always be calm, look you in the eye and say, you'll be okay. And suddenly, because he said that, you were. He told me years later that he was actually really worried about me and stayed up all night sitting outside my room listening to me breathe. I'm glad I didn't know that at the time. I had another major panic attack on a plane between Sydney and Auckland. In my head, I watched on as the overhead lockers started flying open, bags were tossed in the air and the front of the fuselage smashed and compacted and started coming towards me. Then all the passengers on that plane, including me, fell into the sea and next thing we were all surrounded by sharks and we were all doomed. I kept spinning this vision around in my head and these imaginings compounded the anxiety and made it worse. Again, I couldn't breathe and was paralysed with fear. I was thinking of calling out to a steward but was too embarrassed so I just sat there hoping I wouldn't die. I also turned up my Walkman because I've always found listening to loud music with headphones on helps and that is probably because it makes me feel cocooned and protected. After that, I developed an abnormal fear of flying which lasted for quite a few years. It was around this time when I stayed in my room in Melbourne for a few months, mostly sleeping. I did start writing some great songs that would end up on All Grown Up album, but 
overall, I just couldn't perform or do anything too industrious. When you feel like this, it is hard to do anything which is outside the comfort zone, and for that period of time, I had a preference for the small closed room I inhabited. What saved me from complete shutdown, I believe, is that every day in the morning I would do some sort of exercise. I would head to the gym down the road for an hour or two, and this felt okay because it was familiar. Afterwards, I would scurry back into my room, smoke, eat donuts, drink wine, write in a journal, cry and feel forlorn. I can't read those journals now, and I keep thinking I should burn them because I don't want anyone else to read them either. I was such a pitiful creature. I honestly can't believe it was me. That was probably the lowest I ever went, and I know I will never go there again. Because of the feelings of fear and inadequacy, I didn't function very well and I spent too many years in what I call the wasteland, in reference to T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland. When you understand that anger is a derivative of fear, then it makes sense as to why anxiety causes some of us to be so angry at the world, because all you want to do is hide away and the world keeps prodding you with a stick. A lot of the angry young woman persona I had was probably a reaction to living in my anxious world and feeding that fear with dark and heavy thoughts. The first time I noticed something was askew with one of my kids was when he was a toddler and wouldn't get into lifts and other small enclosed spaces that he wasn't familiar with. We went through a car wash once and he just screamed the entire time and he wouldn't go on a merry-go-round no matter how hard his dad and I tried to convince him it was safe. I thought swimming lessons were going to be a fun thing to do together but they were quite traumatic and the first 10 weeks were spent just trying to get a terrified child to put his feet into the water. He just didn't like doing things that he didn't understand. I learned never to assume he would like certain things that other children found so easy to enjoy. Then, when he was about six, he started to mention feeling nauseous before school and I didn't pay a lot of attention as I figured it was just nerves. And even though in a way I was right, I didn't understand how crippling those nerves were going to become. This continued and when my boy hit middle school, the stress mutated and he started having major butterflies at night and throwing up. At first I thought it might be an allergic reaction to dairy, so I started removing food groups to see if that made a difference. And then I thought, perhaps it was the meals we were eating, but then no one else in the family was sick after dinner, so it couldn't have been that. The nausea continued and I started getting calls from the school to pick him up during the day because he was feeling unwell. Nothing made a lot of sense because he seemed so happy and he loved going to school in the morning. It was a bit of a mystery that seemed to be getting worse by the month, so we headed to the doctor to see if there was some sort of physical ailment that was causing his illness or something else that we didn't understand. As we discussed some of the symptoms and what could be causing them, a word jumped out at me that I immediately recognised. It was anxiety, and that was what we were dealing with. It was a eureka moment, because then I remembered that I too had suffered from the same nausea at night when I was a child, and would be sick when no one else in the family was. So many nights lying awake, feeling queasy and petrified, but thinking it was perfectly normal. Once it became clear that anxiety was the cause of my teenager's discomfort, we worked towards finding a solution, which meant talking to some health professionals about what could be done, reading books and researching online. It also meant for me doing a lot of soul-searching and reflecting on my troubled, angry years. 
It seems that giving anxiety a name and acknowledging that it is a condition goes a long way to understanding how to overcome its tyrannical claim. What changed for me and why I believe my fear and anxiety dissipated over time is that I started to look at life as part of a journey rather than absolutes. That today is all we've got and yesterday is gone. We can only work and improve on where we are now with a view to creating a better tomorrow. I guess you would call this mindfulness and living in the now. Another thing that happened is that I learned to look at mistakes and disappointments as key learnings instead of the end of the road or a disaster. Every cloud has a silver lining was a saying that started to make a lot more sense and eventually I started being thankful for all the stupid things I had done and for all of the failures. Hindsight is a good thing because you can see just how wondrous the fails actually were. So now instead of regret, I can own everything with gusto and I don't mind telling these stories at all. Another biggie which my son reminded me about recently is learning to understand that whatever you are feeling, it will pass and you will start to feel better. You can trust this process like any law of nature because nothing ever stays the same and the only constant is change. This time next year, it will all be different. Forgiveness is also a powerful antidote to anxiety. Letting go of the past and moving on from anger is a great liberator. No one has the power to make you feel a particular way unless you let them. And once I realised this, I was in control of how I reacted to life and circumstance, and then I was on my way. Another thing that changed for me is that I started focusing on what I did want and put all of my attention into that. Things around me that I couldn't control, I just let go of and I stopped worrying about what other people were doing and just concentrated on my own thing. I used to constantly tell myself, you can't do that, you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough, you're too old. I just focused on the end result and one day I found I'd stopped saying those things to myself completely. The more hurdles you face, the stronger you become. It's almost like going to the gym. You may not notice any changes for a while, but one day your muscles are stronger and you can lift heavier weights. Barbells you once thought were really heavy have somehow become as light as a feather. Other practical things I have done which have helped me carve out a predominantly anxiety-free existence are exercising every day, reducing alcohol consumption considerably, writing down goals and working towards them at least five minutes a day. Remembering that there is no such thing as no, only not now. Trusting in the process of life and that things do or don't happen for a very good reason. And last but not least, admitting that I do feel a bit anxious sometimes and just accepting it is just part of the process. This episode of Sportsman of the Year was written and performed by me, Jan Halregel. Justin Gregory was the producer and the engineer was Jana Witter. Tim Watkin is the executive producer. 
You can get the book Sportswoman of the Year, A Suburban Philosophy, which comes with a high-resolution download, or you can get the CD too at my website, janhelregal.com, or at record stores and bookshops who are stocking Sportsman of the Year. Ask them for it. You can subscribe to Sportsman of the Year at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and of course, rnz.co.nz forward slash series. Please give us a rating. More people find out about us that way. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.